Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our College Contender Series, previewing our top 10 men's and women's teams entering the 2022 season. It is scary to think Illinois is going to play Ohio State on January 22nd. That date is less than a month from when all of you listeners are hearing this podcast. We are inching closer and closer to to the start of the dual match season. With that in mind, hope all of you have caught our latest series on the Cracked Interviews podcast. We are trying to interview each and every Power 5 men's and women's tennis head coach before the start of the year. We're not only picking their brains about what's going on on campus, but we're talking to them about the big picture issues in college tennis as well, talking about things like the role of the fall. When should the NCAA individuals be played? How do we best market college tennis moving forward? And of course, most importantly, how do we continue to grow this game we all love? Of course, you can find all of those episodes both on our website, CrackRackets.com, and on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, if you've missed any of the episodes in our College Contender series, you can find them all here on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can also find the work of John Parsons and Matt Stokowiak on our website, CrackRackets.com. With all of that in mind, we continue our countdown. On today's show, crazy to think we've hit the number four team in our women's preseason rankings. And look, we've mentioned this on so many different podcasts throughout the course of this series. The margins are ultra thin at the top of college tennis this year. That extra year of eligibility just accentuating that continuing, improving depth we see across the country. It makes these conversations that much more enjoyable. Of course, it also makes this exercise that much more difficult moving forward. And if you're going to undergo something like this, you better have some help along the way. I am so grateful to have had help throughout this series by the man joining me on today's podcast. Once again, of course, you know him best as a writer for our website, CrackRackets.com, a writer for his own blog, no ad, no problem. Of course, you know him as Jay Tweets Tennis on Twitter, the only man to listen to every episode of the Power 5 series. It's our friend, John Jay Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. You're a returning champion as always. Don't think I forgot. How are you doing today? I'm good, Gruskin. Thanks for having me again. I don't have any intro for you. I noticed that uh, Chris and, <laughs> and Matt did. I think they were just trying to one-up me. Um, but uh, I'm doing well. I, I, You're right. I haven't missed any of the episodes yet. I really powered through, no pun intended, the coaches' interviews um, this weekend. Um, some good stuff. So you're, you're keeping those, churning those out. So really good listens. I appreciate that. To your point, I appreciate you coming on these shows because you're right. Matt and Chris are feeling competitive. I think they feel like their seat is up for grabs. They know they've been replaced on the weekday non-college contender GSP by you. And so they brought out the intro. It was a good intro. I was I was like, you always forget. And, you know, there's this – I don't actually think it's a real perception, but I like to make fun of Chris on the show. Chris and I really do love each other quite clearly. But every so often – you or dearly, excuse me – but every so often you forget how smart he is. And then he does something like that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there is a brain in there. I'm like, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I, it was really good. I mean the rhymes were very impressive, right? They were like yeah. difficult words to rhyme with. Um, so very impressive. Well done to Chris. I will say this, the unedited version would have gotten us canceled. So shout out to him for showing some restraint as well. That's for the Patreon listeners. And for having, you know, two variations. 
Yeah, exactly. There were multiple drafts to this intro. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, But of course, no, it is great to have you back on the show. And obviously, I know you're doing some really cool non-college contenders writing about college tennis that listeners will likely have read by the time they hear this podcast. Again, you can find all of Jay's work both on our website, CrackedRackets.com, or of course, on the No Ad, No Problem blog. If you are a college tennis fan, you should be reading everything he says. Although you should also know, and obviously you see the episode title we're talking about number four ucla today i get accused of bias stanford sweatshirt jay don't think i didn't see it bold wardrobe choice today my friend this is my go-to outfit for the football games during the fall season uh it gets a little nippy at night um and i thought i would throw this one on for you what's nippy at night there 64 it can get high 50s um <laughs> but when it's dark out that get that's that's chilly um but we're also getting we've gotten some rain it's been it's been difficult these past few weeks yeah well on behalf of half the country and perhaps people globally who are listening to that statement f*** you my friend (laughs) um but no of course it is always a pleasure to have you on the show and as we always do we've got our opening tangent here for all of you listeners and look we talk so frequently about ways to grow the game here on this podcast it is always worth applauding efforts that are being made to grow the game and hopefully we'll have have some really fun announcements for all of you listeners about the 2022 season but it's worth mentioning and this was from bruce washuk we're you know recording this podcast monday december 20th that's the day he tweeted this coming soon one location to find all college tennis dual match schedules and results we are college tennis.com dash teams now we have been so fortunate here at Cracked Rackets to have a friend by the name of Chris Hallioris, and of course through the years Bobby Knight has done this as well. Two people who have tried to provide this for college tennis fans moving forward. But this is an essential ingredient to consolidating and growing the I think the the game's fan base moving forward because we talk about this all the time, Jay, and I know this is a small victory. But one of the most difficult parts of being a college tennis fan is how difficult it is to follow all of the action. There are a hundred different live scoring feeds plus a hundred different live streams of individual courts to watch. And unless you know where to find them, unless you know how to, you know, travel through that maze, it's difficult to get started as a college tennis fan. This is one step towards alleviating that effort. I think it's worth, as always, applauding the ITA, who they hear what we're saying. They are trying to make these moves. And has it been slow but sure? Yes, but we're at the sure part. I think this is one step in a couple of things I know they have coming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I saw the tweet. Um, I'm I'm intrigued to see what it looks like. I think um, you're right. I mean, you and I follow college tennis as closely as anyone um and i i'm not i couldn't tell you what are the first few dual matches that are kicking off in january uh you know you literally would have to kind of go through each of the respective rosters to do that um so i'm curious to see if this is replacing kind of the way that the 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 screenshot was framed is you would like type a school in and you would see their schedule and results i'm assuming um which makes it easier to then probably link to another school right so it saves that kind of bounce tabbing between these respective schools schedules um so i think that's that's baseline um really excited for them to bring that i do think the the format that we want to be able to get to is a clear understanding of like what are the dual matches that are coming up what's on the schedule um and what are the times who are the ranked teams um so chris and bobby have done stuff like that 
uh, in the past. And clearly, if you're going to onboard all the school schedules, then it's more about just kind of like presenting that information, right? And really doing just kind of the inverse view of like, hey, on January 15th or on January 22nd, these are the schools that are playing. This is where you can find the information. Yeah, and there are things outside of the ITA's control, which is what you learn more of as you get into this game further. I don't know how else to refer to it. Um, But look, in terms of ensuring every court across every match across the country has an updated score throughout the course of the match, respectfully, that's not an ITA thing. Like, of course, they will do everything in their possible to find make it one location to find all those scores. But part of that is, you know, again, glitches in the system. Part of that is just line judges failing to update something or something, you know, is malfunctioning in the scoreboard. Those are all things that you hope get better over the time as the technology gets better over time. And talking to friends at PlaySite, talking to friends at Track Tennis, talking to friends across the country who are into that sort of thing, that technology is getting better. The key will be, again, how do you capitalize on that technology? This is step number one, putting all of these scores, putting all of these streams, putting all of these match schedules in one location. And, of course, you know, will there be shows perhaps highlighting the matches you should follow most closely throughout the course of the year? Yeah, we're going to keep doing that here at Crack Rackets. And, of course, getting Jay on board, that means we're going to get to go twice a week. We're going to have to talk women's on Tuesdays, men's on Thursdays. Maybe we'll switch the days sometimes. Obviously, Jay is going to get to come on those Thursday shows as well now, too. I just I Waiting don't want for the invite. No, I, I just, just don't want to load you up cr- too early. I just want to Zoom bomb. I know. You know we- don't tell them. They won't listen to this, so don't tell them. I'll just show up. <laughs> we should have had you, so we recorded our Virginia episode. I won't say where they're on in our preseason rankings, um, although maybe we'll get there. Did we talk about it already on a show? You know where they are. Uh, so yeah. I can say it, I guess, on this show. They were number six on our rankings, and we recorded that recently. We're a little right, bit uh, yeah, ahead. But we should have had you pop in on that one because from here on in, it's just going to be anarchy. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, was that show enjoyable? And like looking at the rosters moving forward, it's going to be that same conversation over and over again. So pick a team in the top five that you want to jump in on. And yeah, you're jumping in on it just to throw them all off guard. It will be very, very enjoyable. But, you know, to put a bow, because obviously we congratulate where we can congratulate. And this is step number one. Talk to me about two, three, and four. I know you think about these things. You know, for us, when we do red zone broadcasts, one of the things we really would love to do this year, and we're trying to figure out the technology, but it's like if we could have the ESPN bottom line, right, where you have scores just constantly updating, 1-0 Michigan-Wisconsin after the doubles point. Next, we'll go to the matches in the ACC, and you know, then we'll go to what's happening in the SWAC. We'll go to what's happening across the country, all these different things. That's a technology thing, and I I think that's the next level. But, you know, again, two, three, and four, what do you want to see? Two, three, and four is subsequent to this. Steps, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I mentioned this earlier. I mean, the the next step on this is a, is a unified view of schedules, sure. right? And that's really kind of one of the main pain points. We've had some of the non-ITA resources in the past. Um, the The live stream consolidation, I think, could be very helpful, um, right. If you're sitting down as a fan on a Friday when the SEC is in is in action, I think we've all had that experience where you're tabbing between trying to keep track of several matches, right? Knowing where you should be focused. Um, so if you can have a consolidated view of like these are the matches in progress and these are the ones that you should be tuning into, um, and just the consolidation of the links, right? Like mm-hmm. no one's expecting um, the ITA necessarily to solve for one home to watch it all maybe that happens from somebody else um 
but at least just a consolidation of like where can you get this information um i because i do think that ability to just say hey i want to follow or maybe i'm following this match of this team i care about what are the other matches that are happening that i might have a vested interest in um, and right now there's no way to to necessarily do that um i also think there could be a better way to inform non-butt-in-seat fans about the streaming opportunities, right? I'm not sure we do have enough um, fans who are aware that streaming is on PlaySite just because it's not on these more uh, typical streaming networks. Or track tennis. Or track tennis. Um, great video quality. Yeah. Um, right, so I think the next step really is some of these streaming partners, whether that be the conference providers uh, or other or other opportunities, whether it's YouTube or things like that, just for fans to be able to go and stream these matches and know that that's an option. Yeah, and obviously, look, there are conferences, particularly Power 5 conferences, with rights that they don't own, you know, to bundle. For instance, last year with the SEC, we could not include them in our red zone coverage because the SEC tennis rights were folded into the ESPN broader SEC network rights and ditto for Texas matches. Everything's on Longhorn Network and, you know, ACC's an ESPN entity as well. And so... Look, we have continued, I can say, at Crack Rackets to work at. That was the most Midwestern Crack Rackets that's come out of me in a while. I apologize. And I knew it as I was saying it. It's late here on the East Coast. You're going to hear the true me speak. Um, But I know we're working on those things. I know the ITA is working on those things. And, you know, getting college tennis, at least for now, as little behind a paywall as possible so that as many people as possible can see it so that perhaps you know again if there are a hundred thousand people watching college tennis if you do a red zone streaming surface that you're asking people to pay for well now it's worthwhile because that's a consolidated product that's a value added product that's something a bit different but sometimes we're not even at that stage yet. Sometimes right. it's still first awareness about all of yep. these different streams existing and, again, making as many college or broadly tennis fans who, you know, Championship Sunday is really cool. You get to see a bunch of finals, but then there's 12 hours left in the day. And you know what's every Sunday from January to May? College tennis. It's like right. – I agree. It's a marketing thing, as you've heard me stress in the Power 5 interviews. Um, but I think the ITA is – I think all trends – and obviously I'm a bit biased here in the circle. Let's be clear. I always feel like the need now to express that to the listeners. But I know progress is being made. Third-party-ish perspective, final word goes to you. Yeah, well, I think you, you brought up the awareness piece. Um, for anyone who's been following my late night tweets, I've rebranded <laughs> to J Tweets Volleyball. And um, who isn't? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Sometimes those Pacific uh, times don't resonate with our East Coast audience. Um, but, you know, this past Saturday, just great anecdote here. This past Saturday, Saturday night, I turn on Hulu like anyone does. And all of a sudden, it's like, what th- live now, right? And it was. Um, it was on ESPN3 or something. It was volleyball. So I'm like, oh, college volleyball on, on Hulu. This is great. I click in most electric crowd I've ever seen, packed stadium. And that's just, a, I mean, we can get into like what the butts and seat looked like and, and the product that they offer, which is fantastic. But that's just a great example of like, I wouldn't have tuned in if it wasn't presented to me as a streaming option. And so pr- proliferating those options and making them available for more people is going to be super important moving forward. Yeah, brilliantly said. And again, that is a developing story here at Crack Rackets that we hope to have a fun 
add a fun element to uh, for all of you listeners, all of you college tennis fans, over the next couple of weeks. But with that in mind, the breadcrumbs have been laid. So, Jay, we have reached number four on our list, and it's always worth reexamining, you know, the tiers that we have these teams in entering this sort of top 10 preseason ranking. And, you know, we love tiers here at Crack Rackets, T-I-E-R-S, not T-E-A-R-S, just to be clear. But, you know, we talked about this in our conversations when we came up with our top 10. And it does feel like, you know, when we look at number four UCLA, that this is, you know, the end of that second tier. We're not quite at the championship level tier but we're, this, we're looking at a team that obviously has a ton of talent on the roster. And when you look at what this team was able to accomplish during the 2021 season, this was a team that goes 22-5 and five overall throughout the course of the season. And you look who the losses were to, you know, to Texas and at Pepperdine 4-3, at Cal 4-3. They lose, you know, 4-2. Cal was really the one team had their number, you know, Cal and Pepperdine are and Pepperdine, yeah. four of their five losses. And then the other yep. one is National Championship Texas. So when three of your losses are to the two teams that play in the NCAA final and, you know, two of those losses to the NCAA finalists are 4-3, it talks about how good that team was last season. That said, you know, even bringing back Abby Forbes, even bringing back, you know, Vanessa Ong, Sasha Vagramov, some of the talented players they do, Taylor Johnson, to their roster, I still do feel like, again, and, and we don't know about Alicia Bolton. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure, in this podcast. But I, I don't know. Like, I'm not, despite the talent this team brings back, I still think they're a tier two team. And yeah, this is and the I end of that tier. This is 100% the end of that tier. Um, I read about this in the article that number four is anyone's guess, right? Mm-hmm. We have our three teams that we feel really good about that are solidly sitting uh, atop there. And number four could really be any of the teams that we've already talked about. The reason I think we, we landed on UCLA was, one, for just some respect for their 2021 campaign, which we'll get into. Um, I mean, they were knocking on the door. They were really that close. Um, and they were really that good last season. I think second, um, you know, you look at some of their returners, particularly if we're making the assumption that Bolton does come back, you know, it's a similar to, to a, a Virginia situation, yeah. right? Where you have a really strong top of the lineup and you need a few other players to, to crack. And you're taking a bet on, you know, three blue chip recruits that they've brought in as freshmen that there's high upside there. Um, and so I write about this in the article, like why UCLA at four? And you know, the response is, well, why not? Um, and, and, and so that, that's where we landed, but yeah, this is the end of, um, kind of that tier two. Well, I, even the teams we're going to be talking about moving forward and that includes Pepperdine and that includes, I think at this point, you guys are aware Texas UNC, like as good as Navarro and Subash are, if she, if Alicia Bolton comes back it's Navarro Subash, <clears throat> excuse me, and I guess we don't know about Stanford, but <clears throat> it's going to be Navarro Subash and then Forbes Bolton as your top, top twos. And, like, those yeah. are your sure things. You feel damn good about both Abby Forbes and Alicia Bolton, and you're right. That is, you know, the foundation of a great team, and, yes, they have the pieces on paper. When you get three blue chips to fill in the bottom of your lineup, you think one of them's probably going to click, and you feel pretty good about one of those bottom parts of the position uh, of the lineup and then of course you still have players like Ong like Vagramov like you know a Taylor Johnson to fill in elsewhere as well and I don't want to forget Caroline Goldberg on the roster as well just again all of these returners to help bring these freshmen along 
it's a good blend of talent. Uh, that said, let's talk about the 2021 team before we look closer at 2022 because you look at 2021. I mean, you know, I've, I've talked about it before. I think UNC would have won the 2020 NCAA title running away. I think that team was that good compared to the field. But I also think UCLA was so clearly the second best team yep. compared to everyone else and just the top three of Forbes, Bolton, Hart, so, so talented. And at that 2020 indoors, you saw that group, you know, separate themselves from the rest of the pack. This year's team still had that. And you look at the top of the lineup, 21 and three for Abby, or 21, three at number one, Abby Forbes, 20 and two, you know, 16 and two at the number two singles position. Jada Hart goes eight and two, Alicia Bolton, four and oh, Abby Forbes, one and oh, the rep she had to play there. The biggest what if for this season, for this UCLA team is, you know, what happens if Alicia Bolton never gets hurt? What happens if Alicia Bolton doesn't step on a ball and she's able to be healthy from the start of the season to the finish line? Because to be honest, 22 and five, again, you feel like you could have removed those two losses to Cal and this would have been a 24 and three team with like, just like that. And then a healthy Alicia Bolton, who's to say they don't beat Pepperdine once? Who's to say what that confidence does at the beginning, you know, to beat Pepperdine at the start of the year if Bolton's healthy, when that Pepperdine team had not clicked like they had by the end of the season? If UCLA wins that one match, they could be the number two. You know, all the seeds are different, and the entire NCAA board is shifted, and that NCAA board shifting would undoubtedly, you know, the fact that Texas got to avoid UNC, Pepperdine, and UCLA on their run to the final. That's not to diminish what NC State did because NC State was excellent. But they that they got to avoid the three pedigree teams. That made a difference in the end. Like those UC, those Texas freshmen got to run up that confidence throughout that NCAA tournament. And I just feel like again, it was kind of as good as twenty two and five sounds for UCLA. Feels like twenty twenty one was kind of a what if season. Could not agree more. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, basically took the words out of my mouth. I mean, it just felt like they just could not catch a break all season, yeah. right? You talk about the Bolton injury. I mean, she got injured at the end of February, was out basically six weeks, the end of February, and then the first week in April. Two of those five losses came without Bolton. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, when she came back, you know, she slotted down to the three position, which worked out for a little bit, um, and then a little bit faltered down the home stretch. And so you think with the continuity, the UCLA has been a very strong doubles team, right? They've had Bolton and Hart at the top of the lineup. Forbes is strong, um, you know, so you had to take Bolton out of doubles, Um and to come back after the injury, had she been healthy the whole season, you got to think UCLA has a ton of different momentum when that draw came out and it was four or five uh, UCLA and Pepperdine, I think everyone was thinking that's a, it's a tough, tough draw for both of those teams. Um, so I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'd love to ask you, cause you, you pose this question sometimes if, if the 2021 uh, tournament gets replayed a hundred times, how many times do you think UCLA comes away with a championship? If at all, that's such a good fr- Jay. This is why Chris, Matt, move over. Holy Trinity out, dynamic duo in. I can go a step further. They had set point in doubles at the number one spot. Jada Hart and Abby Forbes over Ashley Leahy and Lisa Zarr. One of the most dramatic tiebreakers I have 
ever seen. I mean, on it was a college like five tennis. or six. Not, I mean, a yeah. minimum four. Or were they up six one or six two or six something two. crazy? They were up yeah. six two for sure, and then it was like ten eight finish. So they had yeah, and they drop it. To, so literally, they win that. Yep. It's a brand new ball game. And to totally. answer your question, if you play the NCAA tournament, here's the thing though: UNC beats UCLA every time. UNC does not beat Pepperdine every time because the UCLA matchup, with all due respect, the depth that that UNC had, I just think Crawley at six, you mark up as a win. I think, you know, respectfully at number five, well, five gets interesting. It just depends who's healthy. But I also think the top two, I mean, the thing is I was at UNC UCLA and I watched what Graham and Davitella did to Forbes and Bolton and just, you know, how well they were playing. And I think that UNC team had already seen UCLA. They had already beaten UCLA. There just wasn't a fear of that yeah. team uh, the it's way a, that— It's a year and a half though, right? Yeah, and I say they beat them every time. That's a stretch. I apologize to all the UCLA fans who just gave me the middle finger. There are absolutely <laughs> scenarios where UCLA on the right day could have beaten UNC. I just think Pepperdine was a different foe, and there was a belief to that Pepperdine. I, this is so, you know, this is not a quantifiable thing. But if you were just there, like, again, there was something about this Pepperdine team by the end that the way they racked up these 4-3 wins that just there was a confidence to them in those final stages that would never be duplicated. Like, you just you could not make that run up. And, you know, it's hilarious because I'm sure when I talk to Pear for the Pepperdine pod, I'll ask, the highs of the Leahy uh, Czar semifinal in doubles to the lows of the Leahy Czar finals in doubles. Mm. Like, how do you, how did those two things resonate in your mind? And he'll hang up on me on that moment. <laughs> but, like, to your point, and we're bringing it back to UCLA here, yes. Like, yes, there's a world where and I think this team could – you know, I was that was hyperbole. They could have beaten UNC. They absolutely could have beaten Texas. And, you know, I was talking to one Pac-12 coach about this season. He talked about the parody, and he's like, you look at the strength at the top of the Pac-12. Stanford's back. USC's loaded and just like all of these different teams. Cal's going to be really good. All You know, they're all going to be better. Um, but last year, this was the team in the Pac-12, and it just felt like – in another world where they're healthy, they rip off an undefeated stretch. Maybe they beat Texas as the more experienced team at the national indoors, and that was a really good match. Although Texas was really damn good, like that was that yeah. might have been tough for this UCLA team. That's another thing. Could they have done it three times in a row? I don't know, but yes, like th- this team was really. And if you forget about like look at the numbers. I mean, Viv Wolf at four was rock solid for this team. You look for her overall, 10-5 and five at that number four singles position, that that's the flight with the lowest win percentage on the team. Like, they had the goods. 20-4 yeah. and four at six singles. You know, 14-5 and five at five. They were 11-8 and eight at three, 15-7 and seven at four. That is a direct byproduct, respectfully, of just not having a healthy Bolton. Yep. So what's the number? How many times do they win it if you play 100? Three. Three? Wow. Is that more or less than you expected? That's less than I had. Would you have said once? It's the lead. No, that's less than I had. I had more than that. Oh, oh, I got you. you, Okay. It's it's the lead in my article. Um, That's such a good lead, Jay. So you can can check that out. Um, All right. So give me the numbers. Let's do this tangent. You play it 100 times. Mm -hmm. Who wins the the plurality? Does anyone get a majority? 
So let's set the guard guardrails. Are we keeping the same draw? Has to be the same made, draw. Has to yeah, be the same. Yeah, I think draw. you made a really good point. Te- that's a very favorable draw for Texas. Yeah, because um, they so get to the final, in my opinion, ninety nine percent of the time. NC State beats them once, where they finish off a doubles point and like they just have this perfect run. But sure. I think they get their ninety nine percent. And when you look at a five thirty eight model, if you have a more likely chance to get to the final, you're more likely to probably win that championship exactly right and you're fresh right and one of yeah. unc pepperdine ucla got to go through the gauntlet of that um so i think texas obviously they won i would i would say that that's the, the winning winning team the majority of the time but a very slight majority right i think you're looking at like 55 percent mm-hmm. um i think the next team i think it's probably unc mm-hmm. um who who wins I that agree. yeah 100 percent. um and then i would go pepperdine and then i would go ucla yeah. um so that's the order i would say unc 25 percent of the time uh, um i'd go a little it? higher on them i yeah, like but, but then you're going like if you go 30 i was going to go 35 percent, and that's what we're 90 percent already yeah but i think so i take a little way i'd say texas 48 UNC, 40%. I can't believe wow. UNC didn't win last year's national title. I like, I know, that's a team. Well, it's so interesting. If you pull well, 40% might be too high. You're right, 35, I'll say. And then you divide the rest up between Pepperdine. And, I mean, everything but number one doubles in the final went right for Pepperdine. Like, everything but one point. And that yep. made the difference. You've seen what the perfect hand looks like for a Pepperdine team, oh, essentially. Yep. The others, I don't think – I think you saw what a really good Texas performance looks like. I don't think we saw the best version of UNC, and we know it's out there. That's why I would skew a little bit higher. We're full on into this tangent now, so I got to <laughs> ask. Same thing, 2019 men. Wake Forest, Florida, Texas, and whomever Wake Forest beat in the semifinals. So – Who was it? It wasn't Virginia. No, that was they the quarterfinals. Final. Yeah. They beat um, some – oh, UNC. Does the Blumberg match? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I mean, because <laughs> Texas might actually be like the perfect. Like, do, are they yeah. the lowest in yeah, this I was scenario? Say, like, are they three or four? Yeah, because um, Petros and Borna were done at like because they were just cooked. It was just like we got nothing left in the tank. Uh, yeah. That, mm-hmm. So that's tough. I would say um, Florida was so young, but like, uh, yeah, I probably go Wake, Florida. Uh, I know Wake you want to say UNC. Say I it. know, but but they Will were, was not they healthy. Were, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say they were kind of limping into that as well. So probably a tie between UNC and Texas. Um, yeah, and that was a, probably another draw situation, right? Um, mm-hmm. You just look at the. Um, I would no. say same thing. By the way, 2014 NCAA men, and you could go through history and do this with a lot, but like USC winning that title. And not UCLA, who had beaten them a bunch, and not Virginia, who had Damajan, Frank, and all the Kwiatkowski class. Like, not Oklahoma, who had, you know, the first of three and had uh, Axel and, you know, Dane and, you know, uh, Guillermo Acosta, or not Acosta, Alcada, excuse me, or whatever it was. I'm close on the name. 
Wow, I really am getting old. It's been like over a decade. Cut me some slack. Um, or around a decade. But yeah. anyways, those are some of the fun what ifs. Yeah. F- f- well, let's we can segue. 2014, fun fact. Uh, that was my graduation from UVA. So okay. I drove down from Virginia to Athens. This is the oh. that's the only tournament I've missed the like first oh. few rounds. Yeah. The, the first round I show up for is the semifinal. It's for the only uh. one I could make one. So that was crushing. But you know who did win the 2014 women's final? Uh, hold on. Let me think. USC wins. I'm going to say Stanford. No, our number four. Oh, UCLA. UCLA Duh, that was the Brady team. I mean, not the Brady team, but she was on it. Yeah. (laughs) She was on that in 2015 team. Yep. Yeah, good call. You're right. Damn. You were at that match. So did you see the Hanifman pass? I saw it all. I think these things are a little bit more clear in your memory than they are mine. Um, you'll you'll get there when you hit the three L Gruskin, but um, you know it was a heartbreaking one. Yeah, there was a lot of rain that year too. At this point, it's just because you know there's a finite amount of space in every brain, right? And it's just like I don't have enough serious things in my life to start filtering out the unserious <laughs> things, and so I still have room for the unserious things. But all right, with all that said, you look at this UCLA team. The fact that we did that what if I hope is a testament to the fact that we are emphasizing how good this team was yep. in 2021. 22 and five overall, 10 and 0. It says in the conference, but obviously they had some losses to Cal pre conference conference play beginning they lose and them post in the conference. Yeah, yeah so that's they just lose their regular the, season record exactly in the conference tournament as well now again we read the singles records they win over 74 percent of their matches in four of the six singles flights 68 percent at four 58 percent at three they were excellent at doubles all year long winning over 78 yeah. percent of their matches at all three flights of course they're unable to get that doubles point against pepperdine and yeah Yeah, and I I mean, I know Jada Hart. She, I know that's a volley she will think about because she had it. And I had someone tell me they thought Jada Hart, her last two years of college, was the best player in college tennis when she wanted to be. That's a testament to obviously her contributions to this team. You look at some of the other contributions they got last year from seniors like, you know, an Abby Altick, who has a fantastic year uh, for the Bruins and goes, you know, or, you know, is able to contribute in a pinch. And you've got, you know, other people as well. And a Golik who has another fantastic season uh, for the Bruins as she goes, I believe, 18 and three overall in dual matches. Again, Vivian Wolf coming over from Georgia, able to fill in in the middle of their lineup. But look, Wolf, gone. Hart, gone. Golik, gone. You know, Altic, gone. Though That was the bottom of their lineup last year. That was the nucleus of the team. And when you look towards this 2022 season, uh, you know, again, what do you, what do you make of the roster? Give me the breakdown, Jay. Yeah, so it kind of breaks into, into three pieces, right? You have these... Uh, so I will say I am operating under the assumption that Bolton does return. We should note that okay. she took the fall off. Um, so she played about, I think, 14 uh, 25Ks across Europe and, and the U.S. Uh, her best result being a semifinal in the singles there. She did win two doubles titles. Um, but, you know, she's cracked kind of the top 600 WTA. Um, but by and large, I mean, she was falling in the qualifying um I'm, I'm not sure why she wouldn't return for this final season. Um, so I'm operating under that assumption. I have no reason to believe that she's not, other than the fact that she's not on the roster right now, which we should caveat. Yeah. Um, which so, is a big caveat, by the way. Let's be clear. Huge. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to make that assumption very clear. Um, so with that assumption that you're going to have 
Forbes and Bolton at the, at the top of the lineup. You have the, this, you know, middle group of returners in Bagramov, Ong, and Johnson. Um, and then you have kind of the, the, the new freshmen, right? I mentioned the three blue chip recruits. Uh, and so the big questions kind of come into play with those, you know, middle of the lineup returners and the freshmen. Um, and so it was interesting, um, a fun stat for you. Uh, that made examining the roster pretty difficult here. UCLA only played 38 singles matches this fall. That's about two and a half times less than the average team in our Cracked Rackets top 10. Um, So the average is much closer to about 100. So we didn't see a lot of fall play from the Bruins. Um, So it's tough to know exactly where, you know, Vagramov or Ong's level is at um, and certainly where these freshmen are. I mean, each of them only played about five or six singles matches. So really tough to gauge kind of their respective levels right now. Yeah, and obviously that's something we will have to monitor early in the season with this team. What does this lineup actually look like? Now, of course, it helps to bring back someone in Abby Forbes who I believe, what is she in the preseason rankings? I want to say 40-ish, I don't know, something like that. Well, preseason she was two. Oh, yeah. uh, Sorry, in these final rankings, 40-ish or something like that. I think she's much lower than that. Yeah, point being, she was a preseason, though, top 10 player. We know, you know, throughout her college tennis career how successful she has already been. And there's no, you know, despite an up and down fall, not the best results for her in college tennis, more down than up, if we're being honest. Um, I have no doubt about her level, that she will be back competing with the best of the best in college tennis come the start of the dual match season. And look, that gives you a lot of comfort as your you know coach Stella Sampras Webster trying to make this lineup and trying to figure out who goes where it always helps to know well at least we've got Abby at one but you're right there's so much else unknown about the rest of this team and when you start to look at the returners I suppose you start with Sasha Vagramov who had a big fall seven and two overall here to end the season and obviously last year she's someone who goes nine and five and you know contributed mostly at the five six singles position uh it would be great if you can get a big jump from her and having seen her play you know five ten i know the sort of power tennis she's capable of playing feels like that's you know it feels like for sure vagramov finds her way into the lineup obviously vanessa ong last year five and one in the dual matches she played but was never really healthy it just felt like never was able to quite find her rhythm we know how talented she is that's the thing and that's what makes this team so interesting and very similar to virginia there's a lot of talent at the top there's a lot of pedigree elsewhere in the lineup but that pedigree hasn't always come in college tennis it's a fascinating lineup and again it's a fascinating roster i'm curious how do you think from a talent perspective do you have the utr metrics i'm not sure if you've brought them up already at this point i'm sure you anticipate me asking how does this team compare I do. I do have them. Um, and they were surprisingly high um, given kind of the uh, the roster turn- turnover that we talked about. So they have a power six of 64.36, which for okay. context is second in the Pac-12 uh, to USC by 0.07. Okay. Um, so very close to USC. Um, obviously, it, it's buoyed by having Forbes and Bolton at the top there. But even Ong, um, Kimmy Hance, Taylor Johnson, these are all players that are over 10-5. Uh, and so contributing to that. And just for comparison, like how does that stack up to, to like a, a UNC? It's about 0.5 lower um, than UNC and a little bit more than that for, for Texas. Um, so surprisingly fairly high and pretty strong. 
Yeah, and you mentioned it. Only 38 singles matches for the group here this fall. That's a low number given the relative inexperience of this team, and that's something obviously I will ask uh, their coach about. Now you look from the doubles perspective, 14-5 and certainly sounds good. And you look for them, they played nine different doubles pairings to accumulate that 14-5 and record. Now no team played more than four matches together, but... You know, I do. I do think this team has a lot of. You know, coach, coach Sampras Webster, and just again the the team in general. They've always been good at doubles. They've always, you know, UCLA teams have always yep. brought the good on that point. I think they've got all the talent there, the pieces together to be a top doubles point come the end of the season. But I mean, when you talk about the freshmen, you know them better than I do. You look at this recruiting class, and obviously they were a highly touted recruiting class, according to our friends at TennisRecruiting.net. I believe number five in 2021, they bring in three blue chippers, Ava Contanzarite, not Contanzariti. I don't think that – that's not like a <laughs> Safin Safina thing, I don't think. Um, Kimberly Hance, who, of course, I believe sister of Connor Hance, I want to say. Yep. And Elise Wa- uh, Waggle as well. Yep. You know, three blue chips number five class talk to me about the freshman yeah i mean i would definitely be curious to get um coach sampras webster's thoughts on on the playing of this fall i think doubles is is not something to take much um uh or read into much i mean neither forbes nor bolton are are figures in those uh pairings so you got to expect i mean you're gonna feel good about doubles because you're gonna have bolton at, at one position and you're gonna have forbes at another and you just got to find one more um, and so the three freshmen are interesting. I did expect to see them play more of this fall just to get more reps in. Uh, as you mentioned, only a handful of matches for the three of them. Interestingly, we've talked a lot about these freshmen who have come in um, as, as highly touted, touted recruits. Uh, none of these three have significant uh, international experience. Um, so none of them played much on the ITF circuit, really just focused on, on the U.S. tournaments. I would say... In general, uh, Kimmy Hance probably had the better junior career, um, but it's actually been uh, Elise Weigel who I think has had a little bit more of an impressive uh, start to the year. She was the one that went four and one this fall. Um, she had kind of the surprisingly high UTR. She's a 10-4, Kimmy Hance is a 10-5. Um, so to be honest, there's not much dividing these three freshmen, which was a little bit of a bummer because I was hoping to see more data this fall to kind of distinguish between the three and, and make some predictions. But um, it's going to be it's going to be tough, and we're going to learn a lot more about this team in the early goings of January. Well, with that in mind, I'm going to make it tough on you now. Anyways, let's talk possible lineups. Let's talk possible predictions. Give me what it has by UTR, then give me what you expect to see, and let's start with Bolton in the lineup. Yep. So by UTR, it'd be Forbes, Bolton, Ong, Kimmy Hance. Taylor Johnson and Elise Weigel. Interesting. No Vagramov yeah. on that list. Nope. Uh, obviously, a couple of the other freshmen missing, missing as yeah. well. That's interesting. Yeah, Vagramov would be seven. Interesting. Um, Vanessa Ong's UTR feels really high to me, given how little she's played over the last twelve months, mm-hmm. um, uh, and she hasn't played much this fall either. So that's what utr has i think what i would have is forbes bolton and then i think you got to have vagramov at three she's the one with the most experience in the singles lineup thus far and then i think it's a it's a rat race at the bottom three uh between vanessa ong and the three freshmen so however that kind of pans out i think you'll see a mix of those and i do think taylor johnson will continue to contribute in doubles which she has in the past few years yeah the the one thing you do say about this team look they're 
you know, eight, nine players. That's really though there that's the rotation. It's really eight and you you wonder, you know, if there's an injury. Yeah, obviously that would be a big impact on this team. The other thing you worry about, what if Bolton doesn't come back? And I am curious if you remove Bolton from this equation, does this UCLA roster in your mind still stay top ten? So a few questions in there. Um, I think first, it's interesting you mentioned that around the depth um, and the injuries because I actually feel good about this team if they do get injured because I feel like their seven and eight are basically the same level as their five and six, right? I think you have like six players competing for four spots, the bottom of that lineup. Where you get really worried is when there's kind of a precipitous drop between six, seven, and eight. Um, But obviously, if they were to lose Forbes or Bolton to injury like they did last season, that's a new ball game. Or to your second question, if they lose Bolton to turning pro, where does this team land? Uh, And I write about this in the article. I see a lot of parallels in this team between their 2016 season. Interesting. And that was off the heels of their uh, NCAA title in 2014, and then their runner-up finish in 2015. And then they lost, you know, they lost Jen Brady to turning pro, and they lost Janelle Van Wyn and Robin Anderson. And it was the first time that 2016 season, after that sort of roster turnover, that they didn't make the round of 16 since the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I think this team is walking a fine line. And I think if Bolton doesn't come back, it's very reminiscent of what you saw in 2016 because that would be two of their top three not returning and a whole host of their bottom of the lineup. I think if Bolton comes back and she plays, she's a linchpin both in singles and doubles. Um, But if she doesn't come back, no, this is not a top 10 team. I agree. I think that's the concern. When I said injury, I should have said top-end injury. It feels like you take out Bolton, you take out Forbes. There's a lot of inexperience on this roster. And by the way, we said the same thing about Virginia last week. Like, I like to think we're being consistent here, but... You know, the difference is we know Navarro's back. We know Subash is back. We actually don't know if Bolton is back. That said, you do like the options for this team at five, six. You feel like they can find that depth. They really just need one of those freshmen to click and then one of Vagramov and Ong to click, and you can find your way to four points with a couple different paths, assuming they continue their forever trend of being successful at doubles. And, I mean, look, possible lineups, I think you nailed it. Like, I probably – I might go Ong over Vagramov to start the season, but I probably go – I go, you know, Forbes, Bolton – in whatever order, who's ever playing better, Ong, freshman, Vagramov, freshman. And that's, that's probably what I do. I just don't think we've seen enough from Ong. Yeah. I think when she's been healthy, she's been very good. I know, but it's been, I mean, wasn't yeah. healthy in the spring and she hasn't yeah. been healthy in the fall. Yeah. Um, I also think, I think, look, I mean, Vagramov, she's a 5'10 lefty. Yeah, right, you like um, that. You're right. Right, like you got to put her up at the top of the lineup and and, sure. and let her and let her hit her serve, hit her forehand. Ong is going to win you matches at the bottom of the lineup. True. I, I guess it's both ways. It's you let them cook. One of them's going to be cooking at the bottom of the lineup to start the year. So that's probably who do you feel better about winning at a five or six position than you know Vagramov over Ong. I feel really? better at Vagramov's level right now. Just right now. Well, level, yeah, but the the vol. I think I would be concerned about the volatility with Vagramov. Fair. Um, Fair. And she's, I mean, you look at her fault. Those she's seven wins, pretty straightforward. Those two losses, absolute blowouts. 
You might have convinced me, Jay. You <laughs> might have convinced me. That's a fair point. All right. Well, then, yeah, I, I think that's the potential lineup. Too early to say what the doubles is, but you get Forbes in a line and a half of a slot. You get Bolton in half of a slot. Yep. You get Vagramov in half of a slot. You feel pretty good. Taylor Johnson's Taylor been Johnson. really successful in doubles yep. throughout her career. and. Again, you feel really good about the pieces you have there. Now, you look at the schedule for this UCLA team. Well, I guess let's talk about it, and we've alluded to it. Well, yeah, you sort of nailed it there. If this – and you just said it, but just to put a bow on this conversation, I apologize. If Bolton's not in the lineup, it's a completely different conversation because Cal is very good. USC is very good. We've obviously already talked about how good Stanford can be as well. Those are three teams who can just, without Bolton, straight up beat this team, one through six. Like, they have the talent, they have the depth, and they have some added experience in places UCLA doesn't that sans Bolton makes this season very, very hard. And I like the 15-16 comparison where I think back-to-back years they dropped, uh, you know, they didn't make the round of 16. I think they went second round in back-to-back years. I don't think that's the two-year forecast for this team. No. But given the depth in college tennis, given how difficult that schedule is going to be, because, again, they're going to have to play USC a bunch of different times. They're going to have to play Cal a bunch of different times. Stanford's on the on the schedule, of course. Pepperdine on the schedule twice already. And I believe yeah. both, uh, you know, it's a home and away in those two matches. And for fans, we love that. And long term, this UCLA team could be a lot better come May than perhaps they are in January. Now, it helps kickoff weekend. It's a favorable draw, and you're always— you know, you never want to make the choice, I suppose, to go head to UCLA, face that gauntlet. But Washington, Denver, Cal Poly, that probably is a good break for this young team who, by the way, again, worth mentioning, is going to play Pepperdine before, I believe, uh, the ITA National Indoor we, uh, would be that fine uh, before the National Indoor Final 16 would field together in Madison, Wisconsin. So it's... It's an, I like the schedule construct. This team's going to get tested. It's going to have opportunities to get better. Let's make some predictions. Talk to me about the conference. Talk to me about nationally. What do you expect from this team? Yeah. Well, the first thing I'll say is that if Bolton doesn't come back, then UCLA is our, our Wake Forest of last year. Uh, <laughs> um, so I wanted to get that in and be on the record there. Um, I, I think you hit it on, right? Like this team is going to be much better in May. Um, they have the favorable draw. Um, the kickoff weekend would not surprise me for this team to take some lumps uh, at the indoors, just given uh, the inexperience that they have at the roster um, and and kind of relying on those freshmen. um, You know, it's going to be a gauntlet of a PAC 12 throw in Pepperdine, which is basically for all intents and purposes now, like PAC 12 adjacent. (laughs) It feels like all (laughs) these PAC 12 teams are are scheduling them. Um, So it's tough to say, right? Sitting here today, this is probably the biggest question mark team in our top 10, just to know where their level is at. I do think from a regular season Pac-12, I think those four teams that you mentioned beat, beat each other up. Um, they do now play the Pac-12 tournament. Um, so I think this UCLA team, I know there are our, our four team, um, but I probably have them losing the semifinals. Um to some of these other Pac-12 teams, and I think they fall in the round of 16. Wow. Jay, I like it. Um, I mean, look, I already have my four quarterfinalists, top three plus Stanford, so I think nationally – or semifinalists, excuse semifinalists, me. So nationally, obviously, yeah. from prediction standpoint, I think quarterfinals is the peak for this team. There's definitely yep. a world where, you know, again, Bolton doesn't come back and – they get an injury to one of the freshmen, or Ong or Vagramov, and this team will take some lumps. And it's a really tough schedule. Again, 
Pac-12, there's a lot of depth this season. Cal is going to be really good. USC dominates the fall. We talked about Stanford. I know I just repeated that point, but like you look overall, and again, total matches, they play one of USC or Pepperdine, Cal, or Stan- uh, or Stanford, I believe, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven matches this year. Seven matches against those four schools. Like, Plus one or two in the, in the tournament. Yeah, now you go three and four in that stretch, you're going to be a top 16 seed. You're going to, you know, filter near the top eight. You go four and three in those matches, you're going to be a top eight seed. And given the round of 16 super regional returning, that's invaluable to this UCLA roster. That said, there's also a world where that young team takes a couple lumps against Stanford and, you know, gets knocked off by an experienced SC team, you know, in a free-for-all between a bunch of youngsters, Cal knocks them off again after having their number last season. There's a world where all of those things happen. And I, it, it, you're right. Like, I think the floor for this UCLA team, you know, again, is the Pac-12 going to get three top 16 seeds? Like, is there a world where SC, Cal, and UCLA, you're shaking your head yes. Top I agree 16? with you. Yes. <laughs> but I, I should have said, excuse me, three top top eight seeds? Like, no. I think there's only one in the bunch. And so, well, and Stanford, you throw in two, four top 16 seeds, yes. But are they going to get two top eight seeds? Like, I don't know. And you're right, round of 16, just from a scheduling standpoint, because you have the West Coast powerhouses that are all playing, round of 16 feels very much in play. How many quarterfinalists have I used? You've used four. Okay, on... Georgia? No. No, Georgia was round of 16. Your quarterfinalists are Ohio State, Texas A&M, Stanford, and UVA. Okay, Stanford doesn't count. I'll use my last one on UCLA. I'll just – I'll cash in. Give me that UCLA quarterfinal spot. It's hard to pick. Ah! Do I leave one for the unknown soldier? No, you said round of sixteen. That's your bold take. We should disagree. I like your take. I'll take round. I'll take quarterfinals. I'm going to justify okay. this top four ranking. But I do think it's a really tough schedule for the yeah. Bruins here this season. And yeah, they're one of those swing teams to watch. But again, with all that said, that's number four in our cracked rankings preseason women's rankings. UCLA women's team moving up on the list. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch the Bruins compete. In 2022, of course, if you want to hear more about them, hopefully I will have interviewed Coach Sampras Webster by the time this uh, podcast comes out. You can hear that on the Cracked Interviews podcast along with all of our other Power 5 interviews. You can, of course, learn more about this team on our Cracked Rackets YouTube video or by reading about them. As John Parsons, as he mentioned, has written about this roster, talked about the depth, explored all of these topics today and even further in his article uh, with that said, we've got three teams to go here on the women's side. Now, of course, at the end of all of these podcasts, I offer you the opportunity to discuss your number four men's team as well. Give me the reveal, Jay. Who is number four on your list? You know, I always feel very prepared for these conversations, but you always get me with these men's ones. I always forget that we cover them. <laughs> um so my number four is Texas. Okay. Um and I have tech and Texas is a lot like some of the teams we've talked about on the women's side where the roster on, on paper is there, but the results over the fall have been very questionable, right? I was expecting a much bigger jump from Micah Braswell 
uh, this fall that I didn't see. Um, same with Waldeeb. I thought he would finally be healthy. I know he struggled with injuries. Um, Siamara has not had the impact that I thought he would coming into the fall. Spaziri has obviously been injured, but seems like now that he's healthy, I mean, he made the semifinal of a 25K, so no concerns there. Um, you know, you look at the freshmen that they're bringing in, Bally, um, you know, I mean, they return everybody, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, and you think they were battle tested last year. I mean, they were the king of the four threes. Um, so you can't bump them down uh, out of respect for what they did last year. Same roster, but they're not giving us a lot of evidence this fall, at least, to convince that they're um, that they're ready to to repeat. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm going to reference this constantly in the podcast, so I'll briefly re- uh, try not to repeat myself here, but like. Everything broke right for them in 2021. Everything. It was, we talked about the best case scenario for Pepperdine at the NCAA tournament. It was the best case scenario for Texas, period, throughout the 2021 season. Even if they just duplicate, the thing is, the depth they have is just crazy, but everyone has crazy depth. So the question is, how replicable is the success of Spaziri at one, who by the end of the season was as good as anyone at that spot? Waldeep, Braswell, Harper, Huang, I mean all of these new additions as well. It's it's the margins are so thin. So it's just like, does that four three toughness matter, or is it impossible to replicate that again in twenty twenty two? And is it a regress to the mean season, which is the difference between being number four and being number seven on this list? Like that's what's so fascinating. That said, of course, we also have Texas number four on our list. So we are now at the stage of agreement. It's going to be interesting to hear the top threes. I'm sure we'll have some disagreement there. But yeah, it's – I mean like again, Virginia's our number six. By the end of the pod, I was ready to have them number one after (laughs) reexamining everything and being like, wait a second. Botzer, Allen. Well, first of all, I think the Virginia bias has waned in me. Now – You'll hear in the episode, Chris and Matt treat it like it's an ex-girlfriend of mine that they like have to be tentative about bringing up. And I'm like, let's not be ridiculous, fellas. Yeah. Um, but I just like – I mean we're talking about Allen and Ross maybe or like Getz and Ross versus Harper and Siamara or like Siamara and one of the fr- – like God, are those matchups going to be good. Just get yeah. me – I mean let's enjoy the five months. But NCA quarterfinals, ITA quarterfinals, oh my God, is that going to be good tennis? Yeah, um, it is. I will say I will always be harder, harsher on UVA um, mm-hmm. just because of uh, of my bias. I feel like I like go o- over and I'm like sure. harsher than maybe I should be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I- I'm just curious to see this Texas team in the spring. I think like individually, you know, the fall wasn't – wasn't great um from anyone um and so that's something that i found a little bit concerning but i i feel different than you about like everything breaking the right way i agree that that happens but i think that that's what you build on this season sure. right that you're not going four three with oklahoma you're not going four three with oklahoma state like you're winning those five two six one you know a a, a, a year on um so you know, we'll see. It's it's fascinating. Um, that depth is going to be be tough to deal with, and particularly, I mean, Spaziri is is definitely an asset, both at, at one singles and he's a damn good doubles player. 
Um, so he'll be a huge asset. You know why people accuse me of Virginia bias? Because I brought them up twice here on the UCLA pod. So you know what? <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should double down on it. It's but just yeah, the, it's just the formative years. We it's get. not even bias exactly. It's just like you don't understand. I have like a catalog of references and. 10% of them are Virginia-related. Like, that's all I got. I'm sorry, folks. Um, but no, I agree. And that's what makes this exercise so fun. It's what makes these conversations so fun. Again, if you've missed any of the conversations we've had so far, you can catch up on them all on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, Mini Break podcast, and our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, if you miss anything, you can catch up on it all on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. You want to message Jay directly, he's at JTweetsTennis, not at JVolleyballTweets, but you can find there on Maybe coming burner. soon. On yeah, exactly. Alt. Look yeah. for that burner moving forward, of course. With that said, shout out as always to the super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job. He does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With all of that said, Jay, any final thoughts? I mean, you've talked about the slim margins on the men's side. I mean, let's start hyping up the top three on the women's side because it's going to be, uh, you know, in, in a few intense conversations, I imagine, I'm super excited to break down our top three. Yeah, now the fun really begins. But with all oh, that's not true. This was all really fun. But with all of that said, for my fantastic co-host, John Parsons, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>